0: Welcome to Mordable, the South Mims U audio book service. We bring you short stories enhanced with drama from our creative writing and theatre studies departments.
1: Platform two does not stop here. Please stand well clear of the edge of platform two.
0: The Slow Train to Happiness by William Grass. Malcolm stared at the thick, vivid yellow line which warned him not to stray too close to the platform edge. It struck a stern note of warning, a warning and a reminder of the possibility of sudden violent death. Beyond the glutinous paint, which looked as if it had been overlain three or four times to emphasise its point, was a five-foot drop to the well-worn rails, trembling at the approach of a fast train. The roar of the passing train shocked Malcolm's memory back to the vivid heat of a moment that took place ten years before. The instant he decided that he loved Lara, and that he must tell her that he loved her. They were standing at the edge of a remote cliff on the island of Crete, staring wide-eyed at the breathtaking view beyond the jagged, dangerous edge. They had just clambered, blinded by the sun, around a large and ancient boulder to find themselves far closer to the cliff edge than they had anticipated. Both of them stopped breathing for a moment. Lara clutched his hand tightly. Instinctively, Malcolm pulled Lara close, his arms around her soft waist, her light dress now scented with a mix of eucalyptus and fear. I love you, he said suddenly. She pressed closer and whispered, I love you too had taken a cliff edge and premonitions of an endless plummet into oblivion to get him to say it out loud. He'd known for weeks that she wanted him to say it first, but he had not summoned the courage. Perhaps England, with its drizzle and grey ponderous june clouds, had inhibited him. Too many mornings standing on chilly platforms with chilly people yawning their way to work had undermined his resolve to keep hold of this woman, the one woman he knew was right for him, forever. It takes a cliff edge to bring the fragility of life into sharp focus. It takes a cliff edge to remind you that happiness, however fleeting it might be, is something you have to grasp with both hands. I love you, he said to himself as another fast train sped by. Malcolm obediently stepped back from the yellow line. He took a deep breath, closed his eyes, then opened them again. For an instant the dreary station looked in sharper focus. His heart began to pound. Something had to change. Happiness. It's a trite word. So tritely abused. So overwhelmingly banal. Malcolm knew this better than anyone. He was, after all, the first professor of happiness studies at his university. Appointed amid controversy and not a little ridicule, he'd persevered and won some respect from his colleagues. Now, his course was routinely oversubscribed, and a publisher was clamouring for a book, while TV stations called him regularly to comment on, well, anything and everything, little of it related to the true meaning of happiness. And Lara? Lara may or may not be there when he got back to Potterspar, the small town in which he, they, had been living while he lectured at the university. They had arrived at a new cliff edge, one they'd quietly, imperceptibly created themselves, and suddenly they'd found themselves staring down into, not an abyss, but a steep descent into two different paths. This morning they'd argued, not violently, not even noisily, but routinely. And that was worse. Malcolm boarded the train with a sense of foreboding. He'd had his chance to either throw himself in front of those fast trains, or this commuter train as it arrived. But that would have been a pale imitation of Anna Karenina, and without any of the tragedy, which prompted a fatal decision. He'd opted to just stand there and avoid any choices at all. His default setting. But not choosing always meant that life and circumstances would decide the future for you. Wasn't that one of his main principles? Don't let fate decide. You must decide. That's the foundation for contentment and a sense of self-worth. No matter what the outcome, You take charge of your own destiny. And by taking charge, lay the foundations for future happiness. The happiness that comes with knowing that your fate is your own. It's what Nietzsche called the love of one's own fate, or amor fati, God. Who really cares about Nietzsche? Malcolm wearily walked through the carriage, found a seat, and automatically reached into his bag for his book. He always read a book on a train. He'd done so on the journey into London that morning, his eyes slipping and sliding over the words and sentences like a first-time skater. Not one word had made sense, but he'd persevered. No, this time he had to think. He had to confront the situation. No book, however insightful or compelling, could protect him from the need, the imperative, to think. Welcome aboard this service to Royston. The next station is... In life, Malcolm would tell his students, there is no other voice in your head but your own. No almighty, all-knowing announcer letting you know what your next stop is or warning you of the possible consequences of your choices and actions. Malcolm sometimes wished he believed in God, or at least could imagine that he heard the voice of God. In one of his articles, he told the story of being at a conference. He was scheduled to give a talk and was sent to see someone called The Show Caller. It turned out to be a middle-aged woman with a script clipped to a board and a radio headset which was wired to what looked like a pacemaker prominently attached to her waist. Malcolm noticed that on the script, above his name, was an acronym, V.O.G. And then the words, Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to talk about happiness with the world-renowned expert, Professor Malcolm Sims. "'What's VOG stand for?' he'd asked. "'Voice of God,' the show-caller said. "'Then she snatched the memory stick he was holding "'so she could extract his PowerPoint slides from it. "'She was in no mood to chat. "'The voice of God. "'If only.'"
1: "'Beware of trite examples which really don't do you any good "'and only serve to distract you from what you really need to think about. "'Thank you.'"
0: For a moment, Malcolm thought he was dreaming. Was that a real announcement? He'd noticed that recently there were more and more announcements which urged commuters to be wary of people behaving strangely, the inference being they could be terrorists. Then there were those announcements about contacting a member of staff if you began to feel ill, and after a spate of suicides at his station, Potter's Bar, urging those on the edge of despair to contact the Samaritans or other organisations where they could get help. He joked with Lara that soon there would be announcements from philosophers to aid weary commuters to try and find meaning in their lives, or just share inspiring quotes.
1: Happiness is avoiding any and every quote which attempts to define what happiness is or
0: how to achieve it. Now, Malcolm sat up and stared at the small speaker in the roof of the carriage. Had he heard that announcement correctly?
2: Please ignore the previous announcement. There is nothing wrong with using the wisdom of great thinkers to boost your mood and stimulate your mind and feelings in positive ways. Thank you.
0: Malcolm looked around him. Were the other passengers reacting to these strange announcements? Across from him, a young man was engrossed in a video game on his phone. Substantial headphones encased not just his ears, but almost his entire head. A young mother was waving an iPad with a lurid animated video playing on its bright screen. The child was caught between wanting to escape her pushchair and trying to watch the flickering images. A businessman was talking business on his phone and trying to look like Jeff Bezos. He actually did look a little like Jeff Bezos. They were oblivious to the announcements. This was a banal journey to them. Nothing had disturbed their sense of normality
1: as la rochefoucauld said in 1664 one is never as unhappy as one thinks
0: nor as happy
1: as one hopes
0: malcolm knew that quote he'd often used it to introduce the idea that happiness is usually confused with good or euphoric feelings feelings are momentary it doesn't matter if they're good or bad they don't usually last whereas happiness is all about the long term. It should be the baseline from which events can cause variations, highs and lows. But your main goal in life is to ensure that your baseline is as (laughs) elevated as possible.
2: Okay, so what about Thomas Jefferson, 1787? He said a mind always employed is always happy. This is the true secret, the grand recipe for felicity.
0: Jefferson had a point. Malcolm often used that quote when he'd appeared on CNN. Happiness is doing rather than feeling. It's about having goals and trying to achieve them. It's a journey, not a destination. Malcolm shook his head, rubbed his eyes and shifted in his seat. The young mother looked at him suspiciously. The businessman looked up from his spreadsheet. The young man flicked a glance at him and went back to killing zombies. Each of them was clearly heeding the announcement about being wary of passengers acting strangely. Malcolm crossed his arms and turned his head to look out of the window at the grey blur of the passing suburbs. The train went through a tunnel. (laughs) Seize from
1: every moment its unique novelty. And do not prepare your joys.
0: André Gide. Gide had a good point. Each moment was a novelty. It is unique. That moment on the cliff edge, it was such a bright moment in his memory. They had spent an hour wandering through the hard rocks and spare vegetation, climbing, climbing towards the translucent blue sky, so far from anything, so far from everyone who doubted them, the people who whispered that they weren't suited, that Lara was too flaky, that Malcolm was too serious, that they were opposites who might attract but would eventually repel each other. So that cliff edge became the metaphor which emboldened them. We placed our love on a cliff edge and dared ourselves to walk the line from there to here. And we're still here, Lara would tell her friends. And when she said it, Malcolm's heart would beat faster. But over the last year, the cliff edge had receded. They'd retreated from it. Now the danger was not a falling but of finding themselves in a place of too much safety, too far down the hill without a clear sight of the endless potential of the sharp horizon between the bright blue of the sky and the deep, endless blue of the sea.
2: Between the motion and the act falls the shadow. T.S. Eliot.
0: That was true. T.S. Eliot always came to mind when decisions had to be made. Decisions and revisions which a minute might reverse. Malcolm had been attracted to his poetry at a young age, and he never tired of going back to it. The thrum of the train, the black interlude of each tunnel, reminded him of the rhythm of Eliot's words. This journey was taking longer than usual, Malcolm realised. Frinsbury Park to Potter's Bar was just 11 minutes, but it felt that much longer. Lara would be worried. She said she'd pick him up at the station, but would she? That morning, they'd argued. Lara had told him, just stop thinking. Thinking isn't going to make anything clearer. Just do something. Do something. Malcolm had bristled. He was doing, doing a lot. But Lara's point was that he was doing too much of the same thing. He'd stopped moving forward. He had, in fact, stopped pursuing his dreams. Why? Because he believed that he had achieved them and believing it had led to a state of stasis which stripped him of the essential energy that Lara had been drawn to. We can't keep dreaming of something else. We're too old for that. We're in a good place. We've got what we said we always wanted, Malcolm had told her. He packed his briefcase, checked the train times and worried that he would be late for his lecture if there were trouble on the trains. There was always trouble on the trains. Lara seemed to give up. Usually, she fought back. This morning, she merely nodded pecked him on the cheek and went back upstairs, presumably to shower. Malcolm checked his watch. He called out a week I love you and left, his mind switching to his lecture and the notes he'd made the night before.
1: The worst fate for any man is to find himself teaching other people about the nature of happiness without realizing how far he himself has strayed from its path. Thank you. The
0: point was, is, that happiness is not a destination. Hadn't he said it a million times to himself and to anyone who would listen? The pursuit of something is what brings satisfaction. Attainment of a goal is but, well, a stage, a station, the next station between you and another stage of your journey. Happiness is pursuit, not arrival. Malcolm seemed to jolt forward. It was as if he'd been shocked by a bolt of electricity that had surged up from the rail or down from the wires above the train and coursed through his limbs and every tissue of his being. It was a memory, a vivid, electric memory. On the way home from that first holiday in Crete, all those years ago now, how many years was it? 20 years? It was mind-boggling. 20 years and this sudden vision of a single moment was able to sum up each and every year. Lara and he were on the train home from the airport. It was a stopping train. Malcolm had thought it was the fast train, but he'd made a mistake. They clambered on their luggage blocking the doorway as they fumbled with tickets and plastic bags full of souvenirs. The doors clanked shut; it was an old train, and they forced themselves into two seats with luggage pressed into the overhead rack and under the seat and As the train creaked away, the guard began to reel off the stations between the airport and London. It was the extra slow train. Lara laughed as Malcolm swore and slapped his forehead in frustration. She snuggled into him and whispered into his ear, don't worry, it's the slow train to happiness.
2: We shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. T.S. Eliot, thank you.
0: Lara was right. It's best to take the slow train. The stopping train gets to its destination eventually, and along the way there are many more opportunities to see new and surprising things and people. Why arrive faster than you need to? Why not let life surprise you? And even if it bores you, there will always be the possibility that, out of the blue, something might inspire you. Would Lara be at the station? If she was, Malcolm would change. If she wasn't, He would still change. Whatever the outcome, he knew he had to begin again. We are now approaching Porter's Bar.
1: happiness shouldn't be something you read about it must be something you do